On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If something is apparent, what does that mean precisely? Well, it all depends. Depends on the perspective of the viewer. The Oxford Living Dictionary gives two very different definitions of the adjective apparent. On the one hand, the word can mean clearly visible or understood, obvious. On the other hand, it can mean seeming real or true, but not necessarily so. How can the same word have two such contradictory meanings? Welcome to the English language. If something is apparent, that means it can be seen. But the issue is, is it really there or not? If something appears, it comes into view. But sometimes how things appear are actually quite different from how they really are. 
So if it's apparent, are you seeing what's really there so that it's obvious? Or if it's apparent, are you seeing something that isn't really there and it's not quite true? Because appearance and reality aren't necessarily the same thing at all. That's why seeing is not always believing. Intriguingly, I'm told that some people who've suffered lesions to the brain are physically unable to perceive what they don't believe to be true. Because their brain refuses to accept the impression that their eyes receive, just rejects it. Because I don't believe it and therefore it can't be there. Conversely, when our brains are working normally, it's perfectly possible for us to see things that aren't really there at all. To perceive stimuli when none are physically present. The brain is a strange and a marvellous thing. But our perceptions don't automatically accord with reality. And because that's the case, we get these two different meanings of apparent. What appears, is it really there? Or is it just an appearance with nothing substantial behind it? Sometimes when those first disciples saw the risen Lord, they couldn't believe their eyes. After all, this figure standing before them had been put to death on a cross. His body buried in a tomb. So what were they seeing? Was it a ghost? Was it an hallucination? Was it simply an example of the common experience of the mind tricking you into seeing someone who's just died because you haven't quite got your head around the fact that they aren't alive anymore yet? There are those who've sought to explain away the resurrection appearances of Jesus in precisely those terms. It's the mind playing tricks. Thomas stands out as the arch-sceptic in this respect. When the other disciples said to him, we've seen the Lord, he's not prepared to believe what he sees as merely a wild fantasy on their part. He was the sane, calm, rational one who wouldn't get swept away on a wave of grief-filled, wishful thinking. For Thomas, not even a sight of Jesus would be enough to convince him that Jesus was really alive. No, Thomas would only be convinced if he could actually place his finger in the nail marks in Jesus' hands. If he could put his own hand in the wound made by the spear in Jesus' side. I guess it's a measure of his scepticism that he's prepared to contemplate doing something so, actually, unpleasant. Whatever it was that had appeared to the others, he needed to be completely sure that this was the same body of Jesus that had been tortured to death just a few days before. He needed touch to back up the evidence of what he saw. In the event, a week later, Jesus does appear to him with the other disciples and he invites Thomas to put his finger in the marks of the nails and to put his hand into Jesus' side to stop his doubting and believe. We don't know whether Thomas actually took Jesus up on his somewhat gory invitation. 
But we are told that as a result of this encounter, Thomas responded with words of faith and conviction. My Lord and my God. Jesus then said to him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. That's us. Are we then supposed to take Thomas's word for it? Because he was persuaded against his better judgment that Jesus really did rise from the dead. Are we to lay our doubts to rest on the basis of his testimony? Maybe. John, writing the record of these events in his Gospel, hopes that his account of what happened will be enough to create saving faith in the hearts of his readers. As he says, I've written what I've written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. For John, the story of Jesus itself has enough power to bring people to the point of faith and commitment because it has the ring of truth. There's a power in the narrative that's enough to bring people to the point of faith. And if we believe, because the story captures our hearts and our minds, if we believe without having seen Jesus for ourselves, we get that special blessing that Jesus spoke about. It's all very well, you might say. If seeing is not a basis for believing, then what is? Why should the story of Jesus have that kind of power over people? The extraordinary power of Jesus was recognised by Napoleon Bonaparte, who commented somewhat ruefully, an extraordinary power of influencing and commanding men has been given to Alexander, Charlemagne and myself. But with us, the presence has been necessary. The eye, the voice, the hand. Whereas Jesus Christ has influenced and commanded his subjects without his visible bodily presence for 1,800 years. So we find Peter addressing his readers and saying to them in his first letter, though you haven't seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Do we need to see someone to believe in them? Well, no, not immediately anyway. I can shut my eyes and believe that my wife is still sitting there, even though I can't see her. And what's more, I can still feel love for her, even though I can't see her, and something of the joy out of the relationship that we have. Those feelings hold true no matter what the geographical distance between us or the length of time since I last saw her. Now I can shut my eyes and think of all sorts of other people, some of whom are sitting here tonight, but it doesn't quite have the same effect on me. I can believe that they're real, but I can't summon up quite the same feelings of love or rejoice in the knowledge of their existence. Why not? Because I don't have the same relationship with these other people that I have with my wife. I wasn't pointing in quite the right direction, was I? (laughs) (laughs) 
Bless you, brother. It's the same with Jesus. I can't see him, but I trust him. I love him. There are times when the knowledge that he's there fills me with joy. And I suspect that many of us who are Christians would say exactly the same. How does that work? How can we trust and love someone we've never seen? And it's because we've heard the account of his life and death and resurrection and it's, it's had the ring of truth in our hearts. And we've been moved to reach out to him in prayer and have found a sense of the reality of his risen presence with us in any and every circumstance. We have a relationship with him. We've learned to trust him and receive his love into our hearts. And so bizarrely perhaps we're prepared to live our lives, even stake our lives, on the basis that Jesus is real. That Jesus is alive. That he loves us. That he welcomes and accepts us. That he claims ownership of our lives as sovereign and Lord and has promised eternal life to us. The salvation of our souls, which is the ultimate goal of our faith. So humanity, perhaps even those of us listening to this sermon tonight, can be divided into two camps. For some of us, it is apparent that Jesus is real. That Jesus is alive. That the stories about him are true. And though we cannot see him and have never clapped eyes on him, as Peter says, we love him, we believe in him, and knowing him as Lord and Saviour brings us hope and joy. For others of us, as we hear that kind of claim and look around us and rely on the evidence of our eyes, it is apparent that this kind of faith makes no sense at all. Some of us rely on what we can see. Others of us rely on what we can't see. But we know that appearance and reality aren't necessarily the same thing. So we should be aware of dismissing the existence of things we can't see simply on the basis of how things appear to be. For some of us, Jesus Christ is the object of faith and devotion because he makes sense of who we are. Without God, our entire existence is the product of some cosmic fluke. And it's amazing actually that we exist at all. And the more we study the universe, the more incredible it becomes. Whether you believe in God or not, it's impossible, I think, to engage in a scientific study of the universe without a sense of awe and wonder and amazement at its intricacy and its complexity. And how amazing that we should have the capacity to understand it and enough awareness to find it awe-inspiring. The Christian story is that the universe is the way it is and we have the capacity to understand it and appreciate it because it and we have been made by God. And it works because God made it to work. 
So this amazing universe and we ourselves owe our existence to a mastermind creator who wants more 2,000 years ago appeared in an obscure country as one of us. As a human being. Because he wanted to show us that he was real. And he wanted to show us what he's like. And Jesus in appearance was just like any other human being. You could pass him in a crowd and not notice anything different or distinctive about him. But in terms of who he was and how he lived, he was vastly different from everybody else. So different, in fact, that people couldn't cope with it. And they did away with him, nailing him to a cross. But killing the creator of the universe is not all that easy. And three days later, he's back, large as life having been through death and out the other side, inviting people to believe in him. Inviting people to open their hearts to his love. Inviting people to come through him and to connect to the transcendent reality of God through whom and by whom and for whom everything that we see and understand exists. Christian would say, God is real. 2,000 years ago, God appeared in his son, Jesus Christ. An atheist might retort, Jesus appeared to his followers to be God, maybe. But in reality, he was nothing more than an ordinary man who was misunderstood and who lost his life as a result. It's the resurrection of Jesus that draws a line between those two perspectives. Was he an ordinary man whose life ended on a cross? Or does his resurrection tell us something about who he is? That he really is the Son of God? Comes down to what you make of the sentence. From John's account of Jesus' appearance to Thomas, it's apparent that Jesus is alive. In your mind... Does the statement, it's apparent that Jesus is alive, mean that it's obvious and evident that Jesus is living today because you believe the story? Or is the resurrection of Jesus only apparent in the sense that actually you think the reality is quite different? Somewhere in the ground in Palestine, the bones of Jesus are still knocking around. The difference between these two understandings of apparent these two perspectives, is faith. One, the faith to say, I believe that Jesus is alive, and it's apparent that it's true. The sceptic, it's apparent, but it's not real, and I don't believe it. What is faith? Faith is not a blind, uncritical, gullible acceptance of whatever the man behind the pulpit tells you. George Appleton rightly said, Faith is not knowledge or certainty. It's often contrasted with reason. But the true contrast is with the evidence of the senses. Faith is a kind of spiritual insight an in into realities 
It always wants to get beyond the superficial surface of things into the spiritual beyond the material. It wants to go beyond the outside symptoms into the causes of them. And I'd want to say amen to that. Because faith seeks out the divine reality that is behind what is apparent. And if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we find that the ultimate reality is personal and loving and life-giving. We don't live as specks of life in an empty, impersonal space. We are who we are because we were made by a God of love who appeared 2,000 years ago to show us that he's real and to show us what he's like. And those who come to put their faith in him find that their faith makes sense of everything else. That's why, as Peter puts it, even though we haven't seen him, we love him. And even though we do not see him now, we believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy because we are receiving the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Let's pray. The collect for today is this. Almighty and eternal God, the strength of those who believe and the hope of those who doubt, may we who have not seen have faith. And receive the fullness of Christ's blessing, who is alive and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.